welcome to the well here at STSA. And whether you're joining us here in Leesburg or over there in Arlington or wherever it is you're watching online, we're happy that you're here. You are coming in part three of a series called I Want to Know. And the whole point of this series is we are looking at four questions that I hear a lot and I'm sure that you hear a lot. And if we're honest, a lot of us have asked these questions. And they're questions that I think, unfortunately, we as the church aren't doing a great job of answering. I think a lot of times people, is what I see today, tell me if you see the same thing, I see people leaving the church and leaving God because I think they're asking good questions and getting bad answers. So you may have asked a question along the way that is fact-based. Why does this happen? Or why doesn't this happen? Or how come this isn't like this? Or someone explained this to me. And the problem is oftentimes our fact-based questions get fairy tale based answers, which is just, just trust, just believe, and everything will be okay in the end. You live happily ever after. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's not good enough. And what I've seen is a lot of people are basically coming to the conclusion that if they're asking us questions and we don't know answers, so if you yourselves don't know the answer or you don't care to figure out the answer, then why should I care? And a lot of people, unfortunately, are leaving. And that leaves me as a priest, someone who's dedicated his life to the church, I say what St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. St. Paul says, I marvel, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. Okay, it breaks my heart when I see people not just leaving the church, but as I said a couple weeks ago, I believe a lot of people are leaving for the wrong reason. And you say, Father Anthony, is there a right reason to leave the church and to leave God? And my answer is yes. Like if someone were to come to me and say, you know what? Life without God is more appealing than life with God. I would shake his hand and I'd say, I respect that and more power to you. I don't agree with you, but I respect you. If someone says, you know what? A life where there is no God, a life where everything is random, a life where everything is chaos, a life where everything is just good luck to you, buddy. If that's more appealing to you, more power to you. But what I discovered is people aren't leaving the church because a life without the church is more appealing. But what I discovered is people are leaving because a life inside the church is unappealing. And I've seen many people. I'll tell you some things I hear. I hear, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in God. But Father Anthony, how could I believe in a God who, and then they state, how could I go to a church that blank? How could I read a Bible that clearly teaches blank? And just so you know, just let me tell you a little trick right here. One of the, the, the tricks of debating or the art of persuasion one of the tricks is you misstate the other person's position and you tell them what their position is and then they argue from the wrong position. So what people are doing, this is what, what's happening, is we are in a rush to defend Christianity and someone's saying, why would you believe in a faith that teaches this? And we're in a rush to say, well, you know, because this. And we, you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, is that really what we believe? Is that really what we teach? Is that really what the Bible says? Like, is that really what our church has given to us? I hear things like, I want to believe, but how can I believe in a God who orders the killing of babies and doesn't care about and killing of babies? I say, wait a minute. Is that what we believe? How could I go to a church that teaches hatred of certain people who choose certain sexual orientations? How could I go to a church that teaches people to hate? How could I believe in a Bible that denies science and denies evolution? Well, what I'm trying to do in this series is take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Is that really what we believe? Like, I'm not just going to respond to your question. I'm going to ask myself, is that even a valid question? Because what I discovered is a lot of people are like, I can't belong to a church that. And I'd be like, you know what? I mean, neither can I. 
that's a good idea. You should definitely leave that church. That has nothing to do with us. I can't worship a God that teaches. I'd be like, oh, yeah, for sure. If that's the God, yeah, you should leave that God. Leave him right away. But that's not the God who we're talking about right here. So if you left, and I think with a lot of people, we wouldn't say we left God. We wouldn't say we left the church. Because here we are sitting right here. You're watching online from wherever you are. You wouldn't say you left. But sometimes what happens is the question gets a bad answer. So we just distance ourselves a little bit from God. We're not happy with what answers that we're getting. So it's not that we leave because we were raised not to leave, but maybe we just distance a little bit. And then maybe a year later, it's a little bit more distance and then a little more distance. And then next thing you know, you find yourself in a faraway place. Well, I'm here to get you to hopefully to rethink that position by answering four questions. Quick recap. Question number one that we answered two weeks ago is why should I go to church if there are so many bad Christians? Why should I go to church if there's so many bad Christians? This is a good question, right? But then you ask yourself, hey, wait a minute. Who told you that you go to church because everyone there is perfect? Who told you? Like, who invited you says, come to my church on Sunday where everyone is perfect and no one ever makes a mistake? Like, who told you that's the criteria? Let me ask you a question. Is that why you go to doctors? Like, do you go to a doctor because all doctors are perfect? And do you say, I'm only going to go to a doctor if you prove to me that all doctors, none of them are hypocrites and none of them make mistakes and none of them... Would you stop going to all doctors if you find out about one doctor who preaches to eat healthy and then you see him at the fast food line? You would say, I'm never going to a doctor ever again? No, because you're smart enough to be able to distinguish the one from the entirety. You're smart enough to be able to say that these are doctors and medicine is good. This one doctor doesn't practice what he preaches, but that's okay. I'm not denying all doctors for all the rest of mankind. Who told you that the reason you go to church is so that God gives you everything that you want? Because that's another thing. Is sometimes, why would I go to church? Who told you that if you pray, no matter what it is you pray, God owes you? That God is in debt to you and has to answer your prayer? Who told you that if you go to God, he will protect you from anything bad happening? These are the things that we say, well, I can't go to church because God, God didn't protect me and God left me. Well, who told you that it's never going to be anything suffering or any trial? That was week one. Week two, we answer this question, how do we know Christianity is right? How do we know that our religion is the right religion? And again, you've asked yourself this question. And as I talked about last week, if you missed it, okay, last week I did, I talked some stuff that might have offended some people, might have been against what we were taught when we were kids, but I told you, you can't hate me and be offended until you get to the end of the series, because this is one really long three-hour sermon, so you have to let me finish, okay, so after next week, then you can hate my guts. But what we talked about last week is most of us, how do we know our religion is right? The Bible. And the Bible says this, and the Bible's authentic, and the Bible, and the Bible. And our book is better than their book. Sounds good. But let me ask you a question. If there's someone out there who doesn't accept or questions, let's say questions, a part of the Bible. If they question a part of the Bible, of the book, does that mean that they have to question the entirety of the religion? If a part of the Bible is hard for them to grasp, if a part of the Bible is hard for them to accept, does that mean that the whole thing, we flush it down the toilet? Like, who said that the Bible is the foundation of our faith? And you're like, Father Anthony, that's heresy. And I say, no. Because, you know, for the, we talked about this last week. For the first 300 years, when Christianity made its greatest strides in the world, there was no Bible. The foundation was not a book. The foundation of Christianity is a person. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Logos, and his death and resurrection. That's what spread Christianity to all the ends of the earth. Not a book. 
And again, I'm not against the Bible. Love the Bible. Read it all the time. Encourage you to read it. But all I'm saying is, is that Christianity didn't spread because people were preaching the Bible's the inspired word of God. Christianity spread like wildfire, even though it was illegal, and even though it was persecuting you, risking your life and risking everything that's valuable to you. It spread because people preached our God took flesh, died, rose from the dead. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that led to the spreading of Christianity. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. This is from the, the early church. It said, "Did we?" this is the bad guys talking to the, the apostles. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Question for you. What is this doctrine that they spread? Is the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God? And, and no, they weren't preaching the Bible. They were preaching Christ. And let us never forget as Christianity, okay, as Christians, that our faith is centered around a person. It's all about a person, not it is, not a book. Anyway, that was all last week. You can catch up on YouTube in case you missed any of those, in case those sound like some fun discussions for you. Goal of this series is I think a lot of people, like I said, maybe left, maybe didn't leave, but maybe started to distance. Maybe you know someone. Maybe it's a person in your household. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe if you're honest, it's yourself, but you're not willing to admit it. Who started to distance yourself from God, from the church. And all I'm saying is, if you do so for the right reason, I will shake your hand and I will commend you. I'll disagree with you, but I will respect that. But at least do it for the right reason. Because I think oftentimes we have the wrong picture in our head and we leave for the wrong reason. And that's especially true for today's topic. Today's question. Talk about one of the most widely believed myths and teachings that has no validity whatsoever. Today's question that we're going to answer is this. Why should I believe in something that contradicts science? You've heard this before. You've asked this before. Why should I believe in something that contradicts science? Because a lot of us is how we're taught. Either your science or your Christianity, it can't be both. Either you believe in the Bible or you believe in what science teaches, but you can't do both. Either your creation or your evolution can't be both. Either you go with the, the dating of, of, of like the book of Genesis and the years, or you go with archaeology, but you can't be both. Problem is, if we teach our young people, and we teach people, if, if we teach that Christianity, you have to accept everything the Bible says as fact and nothing outside of that, and every either take it all or leave it all. Then they go to college, and in college, they're taught the earth is a billion years old. And that doesn't appear in the Bible. And now you're left in a bit of a conundrum here. Because you said, if it ain't in the Bible, it ain't so. If it doesn't say it there, don't buy any of it, because our Christianity is based on this, and our faith is this. And the Bible doesn't talk about billions of the years. The Bible talks about so-and-so. If you got so-and-so, you add it all up, 4,000 to 5,000 years. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says it. That's it. And then they go to college. And then they read facts about how humanity has adapted over time. And about how billions and billions of years of archaeology. And then they come home and they ask you, Mom, this is what my college professor says. And your response, don't question. You ask questions, you're going to hell. <laughs> Just believe what the Bible says. Don't ask questions, you're going to hell if you do. And so they're left to choose. They're left to choose between what I was taught as a child 
the B-I-B-I-E, B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, okay? That, that's what we were taught as children. Then as adults, we're taught, ar taught archaeology and billions of years and evolution and science. And then we have to choose. Do I go with what I was taught as a child? Can you think back? As a child, I was also taught about Santa Claus. As a child, I was also taught about the Tooth Fairy. As a child, I was also taught about, you know, the Easter Bunny and those kinds of funny things like that. And you know what? All of those things evolved. Like Santa Claus evolved. It's nice, but it evolved. The Tooth Fairy evolved. The Stork, we used to think the Stork bring the babies. We, we, that evolved. We figured that one out. So you know what? You kind of put Christianity in that same bucket. It's like a nice thing. And I know a lot of people, like, we'll teach that to our children. Kind of like we'll teach you about Santa Claus. Kind of like we'll tell them about the Easter Bunny. But come on. Everything else evolved. So Christianity should as well. Well, that's what I want to address today. If you have ever asked this question and struggled with this question of how can I believe in a faith that contradicts science? I believe. Okay, I'm going to answer that question. But there's another underlying principle that leads to people having that belief. Okay, and you may not see the connection, but just stick with me right here. I think there's a very simple concept that a lot of us, if we're honest, we ascribe to this kind of ideology and this belief, and we teach it to our children. And let me show you how it seems innocent, but it can cause a lot of problems. And that is this, that God is the explanation for anything that we can't currently explain. That God is the explanation for anything that we can't currently explain. When I was a kid, maybe parents, okay, you've done this with your children, I'm sure, I'm sure you've done something similar if you haven't done this exact thing. I was scared of thunder and lightning. So my parents, very sweetly and very innocently, told me, no, thunder is just God coughing. And that's what we believed. It was God coughing. So don't be scared. It's just, <coughs> that's it. God just, <coughs> lightning is God taking a picture. God saw something. God saw you and wanted to take a picture. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> like, this is great. guy. yeah. yeah. I won't tell you what we thought the rain was, okay? But that, leave, leave that one aside. And this gives comfort to children because it's like an easy way to explain that, you know, it's nothing to be scared of. There's a problem. Can you see the problem with this, the inherent problem right here? We don't know how the world began. God created it. We don't know where this earthquake came from. God did it to send a message to this city. We don't know where cancer's from. God's trying to teach that person a lesson, or God's trying to teach humanity a lesson, or God is trying to perfect. Okay, it sounds nice and spiritual. But what if the things that can't be explained today can be explained tomorrow? What happens to God then? So for example, I'm not saying this is my belief, okay, but I'm saying if you grew up around here, remember in the 80s, when AIDS came, what did they say AIDS was? God's punishment on homosexual people. That's what, they was, that's what people were saying. It's God's punishment. God is punishing those people. People kind of said the same thing with COVID, right? COVID is here because God is sending a message. God is sending a message. Hurricane, like I said this in the first week, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Why? Because New Orleans is an evil city. Why the earthquake there? Because that governor has gone with his liberal practices or that one with their conservatism and they're going over the edge. That's why the earthquake hit that city. If God is the answer to the unexplainable, 
what happens when it becomes explainable? What happens when we discover where COVID came from? What happens when we discover why the earthquake hit that city, not that city? What happens when we discover that AIDS didn't just come for those people, but AIDS came to a lot of other people as well? St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I think this fits into that category. We need to grow up in our faith. The reason why people are leaving Christianity is because some of us choose not to evolve and not to grow up. And we stick with a child like, well, yeah, anything we can't explain, it's just God. Anything we can't explain, it's God. But here's the problem. The problem is that the list of things that is unexplainable is shrinking every single day. The list of things that is unexplainable is shrinking every single day. And if we are going to paint ourselves in the corner, that anything that we don't know, oh, it's because God. What happens when people do f discover what the reason is? I'd say it this way. I believe that the unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. It is simply the evidence of the ignorance of man. The fact that we don't know why that earthquake hit doesn't mean that, that it's God. It doesn't mean that it's, it, it, God is the reason. It just means we haven't figured it out yet. But there's things today that we know that we didn't know 20 years ago. And there's things 20 years from now that we don't know today. And let's go, Christians, church, that's a good thing. No one should be scared of that. Like, isn't that good? Like, please, agree with me. Don't you, in this room, don't you want science to advance? Don't you want more answers to questions? Like, don't you want to know where cancer comes from and how we can remove it? Like, isn't that a good thing? Don't you want a cure to every disease? If you say no to that question, then you either got no blood inside you or you never met a person who suffers from a disease. You never met a person whose baby was born with Down syndrome. You never met someone who has a parent who's struggling with a mental illness or a child with autism. What I'm saying is, it's a good thing that so, like we are on the same page as science. We want answers to questions. It's not a bad thing. Like who of us wants that the medical community comes out and says after billions of dollars of research and years and years of study, we've concluded that cancer is simply a lesson from God. That's simply what we've concluded. It's something that cannot be treated. So just, you know what, just accept it as a trial and a lesson from God. And if you get cancer, that's just, we think it's God trying to teach you a lesson. Would anybody be satisfied with that? We're not against science at all. Only a fool would be against science discovering answers to questions that we all struggle with. Now, some people say, but if we were to explain everything, then we'd be God. If we would have answers to everything, then we'd be God. No, we wouldn't. Says <laughs> who? I have a cell phone right here. I have no idea how it works. I push buttons, and I can talk to people on the other side of the world. I don't have the faintest idea how it works. Let's say there's someone out there who is a smart person who actually understands how this allows me to talk to people. That doesn't make you a cell phone, the fact that you can understand how a cell phone works. How the buttons and the plastic and the, 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 the towers and stuff like that. Understanding how the world works doesn't mean there's no God. It just simply means that we, God is giving us the ability to understand how he is working. And in fact, if I understood a cell phone, I wouldn't come to the conclusion that nobody created it. In fact, the more I understand it, the more I am in awe of who came up with it. Would you agree with that? Same is true for God. It's not the unexplainable that points us to God, but rather the explainable. 
It's not the unexplainable, but rather the explainable that teaches us that there is a God. Let's go a little history lesson in case you didn't know this, in case you think that science and Christianity. Did you know that Christians are who launched the modern science movement in the world? Is because of Christians. Did you know that? That if it wasn't for Christians, there'd be no science today. You know that, right? And you know the reason why is because Christians were the first atheists in the world. You know that. The Christians were the first people on planet Earth to be called atheists. You ever wonder, ask yourself, you always hear about Christianity being persecuted. Do you ever ask yourself, why was Christianity so persecuted? Like, we have a little narrative of, like, we're righteous, and everyone just hates us because it's just like the world against us. Which I get it. I'm not saying that's, that's bad, but it's not 100% accurate. Do you know why the world hated Christians? Why the world wanted to rid the world of Christianity? Back before Christians... Again, Christians were the first atheists. Because before Christians, there was no such thing as a civilization without a god. They all had their gods. They had the Zeus and the Thor and the whatever it may be, or like the Aphrodite, the Greek gods, the Roman gods. Every nation had its own gods. The Egyptians had gods, the Greeks had gods, the Romans had gods. And nobody had a problem. Like, you're allowed to worship whoever it is that you want. So I'm in Greece. I understand you're in Rome. You have your own gods. I'm not telling you to change to my gods. There was no conversion from god to god. That's why nobody hated the Jewish people, okay? No one wanted to eliminate Judaism from the world, but Christianity was different because Christianity came and said, no, do not worship those gods. Do not worship those gods. Do not worship any gods. None of them are real. Christianity said, we worship a king who's risen from the dead. That's why they called us atheists, because we denied that there was any gods in this world. And back in the early days, okay, the ancient times, they, again, they didn't understand science. All they knew was the gods. So if an earthquake hit, how did they explain it? The gods are not happy. And if lightning came and hit your house, the gods are upset. So you know why Christianity was persecuted? Because people thought that any natural disaster was their fault. Christianity wasn't persecuted because it was a sacred religion. Christianity was persecuted because they were heretics. They're the ones who are bringing the anger of the gods upon us. So the world was just trying to rid them. The world thought they were doing a, a service. Because these people come in and say, don't worship any gods. Throw away your statues. But hey, the statues are what it got us right here. That's why people would offer Christians as sacrifices. To appease the gods. Because the world was at the whim of the gods. And then here comes Christianity. And Christianity says, no, it's not. Those aren't gods. And those aren't gods. And those aren't gods. There is one God who created heaven and earth and everything that is therein. And he created the world at the beginning. And then he, this is the important point, he stopped creating. He rested on the seventh day. Now, why is that a critical piece of information? If I tell you that God created the universe and then he stopped what would you expect the world to look like? Well, I think you'd expect this. If you believe that the universe was created by God and not by chance or by itself, then you would expect a predictable, stable, and explainable universe. You agree with that? If you agree that God created all and then God stopped, you would expect predictability. You would expect explainability and stability. Hence, science. You see, if the world is just at the whim of the gods, there's no point in science. 
Why try to study something that, you know what, Zeus got angry and burned this up, so do all your calculations, but it's just random. It just happens to be whatever the gods want. But the Christians are like, no, 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 no. Y'all got this thing wrong. There's order. There's design. There's a creator who puts certain things in certain places, and then he stopped this, and that's why you see things working like clockwork. And it was the Christians who said, that's not God's anger at this city. That's called a volcano. And let me tell you, when the pressure builds up or the whatever it is, and the lava so run like the wind, okay, it ain't God's anger. It was the Christians who said, it's not like God is happy so he sends rain, and then gods are angry so they would make famine. No, no, there's a cycle. There's a moon and stars and stuff that I don't get. Okay, but some of you are smart enough to get that stuff. It was Christians are the ones who started this. Science was not possible until Christianity. Because we're the ones who said that there's a God who does things orderly. Let me show you an anonymous quote from a scientist. Okay, there's lots of articles from scientists who are Christians, but they speak under anonymity. And he says this, The debate isn't between faith and science. It's between good science and bad science. I like that. It's between good science and bad science. Darwinists are practicing bad science by ruling out intelligent causes before they look at the evidence. Like the opponents of Galileo, they ignore observation. Get rid of this idea that it's science or faith. Science or faith. Which are you? Are you science or are you faith? I'm faith, so you can't be science. So I'm no, get rid of that. It's not science or faith. The, the question is, is it good science or bad science? Is it good faith or bad faith? Let me say it another way. The more we understand the world doesn't mean that there's no need for a creator of the world. Just like the more I understand a painting and appreciate the painting and the colors and the design and what went into it, I don't therefore deduce that there must be no painter. The more I understand the art, the more I get insight into the artist. And the same is true in the world. Science doesn't replace God. Science teaches us who God really is. Let me go quote from a scientist right here, Sir Isaac Newton. He was a famous guy. He said, gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be. It's not the unexplainable that points us to God. It's the explainable. It's the predictable. It's the runs like clockwork, mundane, over and over, that tells us that there must be someone who set all this in motion. Now, some people say, okay, you may have heard this argument, I hear sometimes things like, there's no God, okay, there's no, but it's the universe. You heard this before, the universe. It's the universe that created this. Or, you know, we, I heard someone say, we thank the universe, okay, that our bodies are able to, like, reproduce or whatever it is. Thank the universe. And I'm like, okay, like, let's, I'm not ridiculing, I'm being honest, okay. Let, let's discuss the universe. Or nature, I hear that one, mother nature. Let's discuss what you call the universe. Tell me about the universe. And they say, universe, universe existed before time. Okay, what else does the universe do? Universe created all things. All things come from the universe. I'm like, okay, is the universe bound by time? They're like, no. So I'm like, okay, call it the universe. That's God. <laughs> like you were describing God. Okay, you were describing God. You're, what you're saying is God, but you call it the universe. That's fine. I'm with you. I'm with you. Call it whatever that you want. But the fact is that in order, help me right here, be logical, in order for someone or something or some whatever to create time and space and matter, they must be outside of time and space and matter. Because if you are within it, then you can't create it. So in order for something, help me out right here, to create everything that is in nature, they must be super 
supra supernatural, right? You can call it the universe if you want. You can call it Mother Nature if you want. I don't care about the name, but the principle is clear. Back to that anonymous scientist. He says this. He says, when it comes to the origin of life on Earth, there are only two possibilities. There are only two possibilities. Creation and spontaneous generation. Those are the only two options. Someone created it, whatever his name may be, or it came of itself. Well, there's no other possible way. Sorry, the next part. Spontaneous generation was disproved over 100 years ago. That something, that nothing cannot create something. Okay? Spontaneous generation is that nothing created something. It's simply not possible. Spontaneous generation was disproved over 100 years ago, so that leads to only one conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We can't believe that for philosophical reasons, so we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. Now, some of you sitting there, okay, and I can read your minds. Some of you sitting there and saying, okay, Father Anthony, it's too much. I don't care about it. Can't we just pray and love? Okay, just keep it simple. Like, we don't need the science. We are, okay, so you know what? Let me give you an analogy okay, to make it easier. For in case you don't care about anything that I just said, let me give you an analogy. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there was a piano, a grand piano in this home, and inside the piano lived mice, several mice. And the mice would hear music coming from the piano. And they would ask, where's the music com come from? And their parents told them, the, the music comes from the, quote, the great player. And they had this idea that there was this great player up in heaven who loved them so much, or somewhere outside of this piano. Okay, not heaven, sorry. They're, they're mice, they don't know about heaven. Somewhere in this home, there's this great player who loved us so much so every now and then he would give us Beethoven's fifth or Beethoven's seventh or twelfth or whatever first. I don't know why Beethoven doesn't have a first. Okay, he's always got a fifth, but he doesn't have a first. Okay, they gave us something, and, and, and they loved this idea of the great player. And then one day, a naughty little mouse, okay, a little rambunctious little guy, snuck outside the piano, okay, and he got into the top part. They used to live in the bottom part, and he came up to the top part. And all of a sudden, he's like, holy moly. And he saw wires. And all of a sudden, he heard music and he saw the wires moving. And he's like, oh, it's not a great player. It's the wires. And there's some that are tight and some a little bit less. And it's the wires. So he came back to the mice and said, y'all suckers. It's not the great player. It's the wires. The wires are what make the music. And they're like, no, no, no. Great player makes music. No, you and he said, you know what, you are so uneducated, and you're so naive, and you don't understand technology and science. It's the wires that are clearly making the music, and I got proof and evidence. And then a little buddy of his wanted to see, so the buddy came out with him, and he looked out there, and he went a little bit further. And he saw the wires that he saw on the ends connected to these hammer things. And they said, oh, now you'd have to be a real idiot to believe in the great player. Because clearly, it's the wires plus the hammers that make the music. And only an uneducated person, only an uneducated person who is not willing to, to accept any form of reality would believe in this thing called the great player. And after that, the great player became a myth for the uneducated mice, and the educated ones knew that it was really the wires and the hammers. Who's the naive one? Who's the one who's denying reality? The one who believed in the great player? Or the one who denied his existence? 
Science without faith is foolish. Faith without science is immature. Our goal is faith strengthened by science. Science without faith is foolish. The idea that, back to the mice, okay, that it's the, the wires and the hammers and they're doing all the stuff and we don't believe in the great player, it's foolish. Okay? It's, 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 it's juvenile. Like, it, it makes no sense. It's foolish. Only a fool would believe that. But on the other side, faith without science is immature. To say, hey, we discovered wires. No, you didn't. Hey, we discovered hammers. No, you didn't. They don't exist. Because we were taught when we were young, there was no hammers, there was no wires, just a great player. We, it's, it, it's, it's no contradiction between the two. There is a great player, and the means by which he makes music is the wires and the hammer. That's science and faith. Get rid of this idea that you have to choose one or the other. You don't have to choose. If it's silly to think of wires moving themselves and making music, how much more silly is it to think that this universe around us, the symphony that we see around us with the stars and the planets and the galaxies and the human body and its ability to heal itself, how ridiculous, if it's ridiculous to think the piano makes music by itself, how ridiculous would it be to think that all this makes music by itself? That's science without God. It's wires with no player, hammers with no player, and simply put, it's foolish. But by the other token, like I said, the other extreme, which is faith with no science, is ignorant and immature. There is a uh, guy named J Dr. James Tour who is a nanotechnologist. I don't have the faintest idea what that means, but it sounds like he's very authoritative, okay? He's a nanotechnologist. And he said, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. As I said earlier, the more I study the artwork, the more I appreciate the painter. The more I listen to the music, the more I think I'm in awe of the one who created the music, and it's the same. When I study the creation, which is, that's what science is, the study of God's creation. It does not pull me away from God. It actually brings me to appreciate him more and more. And that's why, like I said, we're not afraid of science. We're not afraid of science. We love science. Like I said, we want diseases cured. We want planets discovered. We want to know where things came from. Okay, the more and more that's revealed, it's not taking us away. It's actually bringing us closer and closer because it will show us more. The more we study the piano, the more we realize that the hammers and the wire have no life in themselves. But it must be a great player who put it all together to make this symphony of music. And just so you're clear, that has always, this is important, has always been the position of ancient Christianity. This is the part that I, I, I get... Be careful that some of the modern positions of Christianity are not the same as the ancient position. Okay, sometimes what we hear today, and it's, it's representing all of us, it's not. Because our ancient form of Christianity, forget about the modern, modern version, our ancient form of Christianity has been the ones who, like I said, led the science movement and embraced it as a way to learn more about God. One of the great fathers of the church is a guy named St. Augustine. You heard about him. He started as an atheist, non-believer, and then came to faith in Christ. Look what he says. He gives a warning to us and Christians in the church. He says, In matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision, we find in Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. So this is an important thing. He's saying sometimes there's things that we don't know. There's things that we don't know. And the Scripture isn't 100% clear. 
Okay, and the easiest example is like creation in six days. Well, it never says six literal days. They didn't have a concept of days. So, like, let's be clear that there's certain things that aren't definitively stated in Scripture. And look what he says about it. In such cases, we should not rush headlong. We should not rush headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that if further progress in the search for truth justly undermines this position, we too fall with it. Do you get what he's saying? This is so important. The creation says six days. So we say, no, it's six days. And science says, no, it was actually longer. Never. The Bible says six days and it's six days. Never accept that. Be careful. Christians, church, be careful. Don't take your stand, especially on something that, remember, Christianity is not about every word of the Bible is literal. Christianity is about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Don't take your stand on things that can be interpreted different ways. So when we look at it, Let's not rush into it. Let's not say that anyone who teaches something different than what we were taught, that person is a heretic and wrong. No, 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 no. Let's not teach science is evil. Let's not have our children go to college with this mentality that we don't care about science and we deny reality. No, 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 no. We're all on the same side. We want science. We want science to teach us stuff. And I had told you this, I think I told you this two weeks ago. When our science conflicts with our theology, we don't have a science problem. We have a theology problem. It's our theology that's bad. It's not our science that's bad. It's our theology. Because we're all on the same side. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, The religion that is afraid of science dishonors God and commits suicide. And the reason that I'm speaking about this is because I'm afraid that some of those who are dying because of our position on science are the people we love and care about the most, and the people that God loves and cares about the most. So, if you, you, walked away, distanced yourself, started to kind of, or you know someone who did, because of science, because of Christianity and science are opposed and I'm science, if that's why you left, if that's why you distance, if that's why you question, if that's why you know someone who did. Good news for you. You don't need to. You don't need to. You don't need to because there's never been a decision that you have to make between science or faith. Never been that case. Our faith is so much better and so much bigger. And I hope you would reconsider your position. Last thing I want to say, unrelated. If you are, like I said a minute ago, one of the people who maybe distanced yourself because, like I said, the science and the things like that, I have a theory, okay, and you're probably, everyone's going to disagree with me on this theory, but that's fine. I'm, again, you have to listen to me till the end. So you can hate me next week, okay, but you, it's Father's Day, so you got to do it. I don't think that's why you walked away. I don't think that's why you distanced yourself. I think that's what you say. And I'm willing to respect that. But I think there's a deeper reason. And next week, I'm going to talk about what that deeper reason is. Because I think a lot of times, the reason that we give, and it could be, if we're honest, it's the reason that we tell ourselves. We're not just lying to others. I'm not saying we're lying. I'm saying we're not honest with ourselves. We don't even know sometimes. I think the real reason is something a little bit deeper that I want to discuss next week. Because I think in the end, the life that is away from God. I never met one person. I met a lot of people in my life. I never met one 
who told me that a life without God is more appealing than a life with God. I never met anyone who says, yes, when I'm in the hospital, I hope that I have no hope in life whatsoever. I hope that this is the end. I never met someone who's been going through a hard time that hadn't come and tell me, thank God, I have my faith, because I don't know what else would hold me up. I never met a person who found God, uh, sorry, life without God, life without church, life without community, life without brothers and sisters, life in isolation. I never met one person who says, that's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I want for my kids. What I have discovered is that oftentimes the reason that we end up there is something a little bit deeper. Not because God, not because life without God is appealing, but because we as church have made life God with God unappealing. And that's what I want to talk about next week. Okay? I want to wrap up next week this series with the real reason that I think a lot of people walked away. So I really hope that you'll be back next week to hear, because like I said, this is a three-hour sermon, and I still got 40 minutes left, and I'll see you next Sunday to finish and wrap up. Okay? Let's stand up for a prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you because you have revealed yourself to us in so many different ways, science being one of them. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone, but you give us everything that we need to understand you better, and we ask that you forgive us for turning your creation against you and the study of your creation into a way to, to remove you. Lord, help us and help all those who are struggling with this subject. Help us to, 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 to see things clearly and to come back to you, Lord, as, as the place that we belong. Our souls are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. And I pray that through this series together, that all those who may be distancing or, or thinking of leaving you, Lord, they find a way back home. We ask this in the name of your Son, the prayers of all your saints. Here, says we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.